0: Um, it is wonderful to welcome, uh, just come up Just come up here, Just are we, we're all wired up for sound aren't we? Yep. Have we all switched on? Brian's not doing that thing that he said he would do and we <laughs> don't switch on. Um, in 29 days, not that I'm counting, we will be off to Uganda which is your neighbouring country. Yep. So I feel I couldn't get away without saying Christoph Mbonyagabo. Yes,
1: what's well,
0: that? What about that eh? <laughs> um... It took a bit of practice there, but uh, it's wonderful to have you and Diane Holt. Diane, we're starting with you because you're the one that gave us Christoph. So tell me what you do and how you first came across Christoph.
2: Okay, so I have two hats. I work three days a week for Tear Fund and I work two days a week for an organization called Thrive Ireland that was birthed out of Tear Fund to bring um, learning for the church in Ireland from an international development setting. Uh, but I my role, it's a very long title, is the Development Facilitator for the Inspired Individuals program in South and East Africa. So Christoph <laughs> this is with Tear Fund. Christoph is an inspired individual. So it's a it's a leadership program that focuses on the individual, not on what they do. Okay. The, it's really to journey alongside um, leaders within their own countries um, bring them together into cohorts of people who do similar work but in other contexts. Because often, the, if you're working with leaders in a very difficult, edgy type of ministry, they're not often supported by the church in that because the church aren't quite getting what they do. Um, so it's really about bringing mentoring coaching pastoral support bringing them to, together with groups of others for mutual learning and understanding and a sense of belonging and i'm not on my own and also this is a peer connection trip so though most of our peer connection trips are actually in africa with others because of the learning that we both felt we had in terms of northern ireland in rwanda and rwanda in northern ireland Christoph wanted to come for his peer connection visit to northern ireland to seek to understand and learn something from our context.
0: So why did you first hear about this inspired leader then? I mean, did, did somebody... Well, he was
2: nominated as part of the programme. Okay. Um, and I think it's just through connections in, in Africa that Fund would have had. He's in his third year, he's about to graduate this year. Um, and he, well, he'll tell you himself, but he, he heads up an incredible peace and reconciliation ministry that brings together um, victims of the genocide and survivors with their perpetrators to go through a journey of reconciliation and forgiveness.
0: Okay, Christoph. tell us very briefly, because we want to get into some of this leadership and look at the leaders we have in the house, probably before we, we, we leave here. But tell us a little bit about your story and about the CARSA the ministry.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, I was born in east part of Congo. That's the DRC uh, by Daniel Zaire. Uh, basically, when I say that brings some questions to your mind being a Rwandan who was born abroad. But that's part of our history, uh, because my parents and grandparents had moved or had fled towards that part of uh, Congo uh, from nineteen fifty nine as being of the beginning of the Rwandan conflict, uh when uh I collected I mean it was a all the issues coming together for many years with the hatred and the division and the colonial legacy and all that. When the group called the Tutsi, on the power with the king, then the king was thrown out of the power with the minority Tutsi, and most of them uh, start fleeing Rwanda. So I was born there. And then um, until I was, you know, a teenager, and uh, that's when, again, the issue comes in Rwanda, four years of civil war, which then became the genocide in 1994. So came in Rwanda for the first time in 1995 as a young student and, you know, went through, uh, first of all, experiencing looking what people in Rwanda had experienced because by then we, still, we could find dead bodies and still around in Rwanda. But I had left my family in the RC where, after the genocide, most of the perpetrators had fled and went to that part of Congo with over 2 million people, refugees, you know, in the camps, and so as I was in Rwanda studying, living back my family, DRC, two years after 1996, my family and other people in their village got attacked by those uh, genociders or those who were involved in the, geno- the genocide in Rwanda who had fled. And so then my family had to f- kind of flee back to Rwanda after many, many years, but leaving everything behind them because, you know, cows and other things were stolen and killed and all that, but also lost my, my young brother into those circumstances. So when I saw my family coming in Rwanda, empty hands, and what I had seen in Rwanda, and knowing what was going on in DRC, so when I graduated from high school, 1996, 19th, 19th, 19th 7th, January, I actually joined the rebel group in east of Congo to fight against those refugees. You start and you
0: volunteered as a
1: Yes, I was, I was trained and, and, you know, went there for two years. But when I was there, uh, <laughs> when I was there, Again, my father, you know, tried to go back from Congo, I mean, from Rwanda to Congo, got stuck there because they want to kill him. So, you know, for three months was hiding underneath and then, then got sick and died as well. Oh my so, you know, with orders issued two years after 19, uh, 1999, I came out of the army, you know, with hopeless and not knowing what to do, no job, but I could not continue because I was myself traumatized. And so through that, those circumstances, one of my neighbor, who probably who was a Christian and saw how I was suffering, invited me to their church. And then I went to their conference. And that's when I had the gospel and received Jesus and got saved. And that was the turning point in my
2: life. But actually, the people who came out of prison, who were the perpetrators, had to go back to their own villages where the people they had harmed were. How did they then live? So one lady in says you will you will cross the road on this side and I will cross the road on this side and we will never meet but every time your stomach's churning and you feel sick and so there's something about the importance of enabling forgiveness to to happen and, and God being a part of that process that was just so powerfully you know what nearly a million people in a hundred days it's just impossible to get your mind around I also felt the third thing that I felt was the element of justice as part of the gachacha courts um, was really important for those people who feel here that justice has not been done, and um, we're on a journey of looking at how we might be able to help people to listen a little bit more to the restorative justice aspect of the gachacha courts. Um, Christoph, I'm sure can talk more about that.
0: Well, well let me we could, but let, let me move you on to leadership because. Um, Uh, The Ohio Wesley group were here, and I meant to bring Lisa up earlier to introduce Lisa, but of course I forgot Lisa, but um, they've been looking at um, sectarianism here and racism back home in in America, and we were having some discussion. In fact, Father Martin and I were having some debate and argument about the role of the churches and the leadership of the churches. And um, and there there may be a Catholic Protestant definition of church, and Martin and my arguing about this because I see the institutional church leadership being very poor in their engagement. Actually, we discovered yesterday in the discussion, thank you for coming and helping us with this, uh, maybe even before 69, where were the Protestant churches dealing with the civil rights issues that Catholics were having to put up with before 69? Maybe the churches could have led in such a way that civil rights could have happened without the violence. But then going into it, the churches... They haven't really taken a a strong lead. And yet, Father Alec Reed, Father Jerry Reynolds were in the midst of Clonard Monastery today. They're they're real leaders that were just, they weren't ordinary, they they were clergy, but they were leaders that wasn't coming from the hierarchy. What I'm trying to get to that is, do we wait for the institutional leaders to move? Or what does leadership look like in moving this on?
1: Yeah. First of all, talking about the church and uh, the leadership in the church, in our context, I have to mention to you that in 1994, when the genocide took place, over 95% of Rwandans were calling themselves Christians. Means they attend church every single Sunday. 95%?
0: Said
1: 95% they were, percent they were saying they were Christian and they were members of the And then the genocide took place. Wow. Means if we are courageous enough, we would say the genocide. From uh, Christian killing fellow Christians, and if you hear that, like you know, sounds like something impossible, but you need to look that back from the history. First of all, the church was not uh, a way, or the church has been part of the issue before the genocide. I mean, the church was supporting the government with all the divisive laws in place in the country, but also the church uh, basically was even divided from its foundation why i'm saying so it's because when you look at how churches work together and when you see how churches are divided from their theological point of view and then you expect them to unite the people for me it's a contradiction because we have the catholic we have the protestant we have anglican we have presbyterian we have methodist and these these groups have developed their own theologies and their theology which goes apart it's not unify unify, unify. Uniting, Thank you. Uniting, uniting uh, theology—it's already divisive. And so these people could not act, attend different. These people could not one Sunday worship together. And then on top of that, you add other sort of divisions. On top of that, you add the—I mean—the political ideologies. Then it's—it's it's already a mess. So the, the the church was involved before and during the genocide. We have many, not only Christians but church leaders who were actively involved in the genocide. We have one particular story, because during the genocide many people went to find for refuge in church building like this one, and the one particular church, Catholic church, people were so many trying to find for refuge, and the priest of that, that Catholic church ordered the boudoirs to come and destroy over the church building, over the people. We have that now as, as genocide memorial, as genocide museum, That happened. So. Then, after the genocide, the church was accused to be part. The church was dealing with the failure of that, but it took many, many years for at least the church leadership to accept that failure. Because they were accusing one and they said, You know, because we all tend to hide behind the institution. And when you talk about the church, someone, "What, what what do you mean by the church? It's as if there's something there we call the church and we're hiding behind. And sometimes we look at the leadership, two, three people, but how about all of us as church members? And that's when it comes to the challenge. So then it took many years working with church leaders, trying to make them understand that as the church you need to acknowledge, recognize, and apologize for your failure, but it took 20 years for the church to do that in Rwanda. And
0: did the church actually acknowledge their failure? Yes. Publicly?
1: Yes. Publicly. They they made a declaration. We call declaration Muzan's declaration. And they made different... Steps or they mentioned issues that they believe they fell in, and one of them is actually they failed to disciple people into disciples of Christ, but they made them to be denomination members. That was really the main one, with other many, many results. So they made a clear public declaration accepting and confessing, and that's what the Protestant, or the Protestants we call evangelicals and others, that. after a year, that was 2014. 2016, we had the Catholic Church also doing the same as Catholic Church. But you see, that was over 20 years after genocide. And the, the leaders were, were wrestling, were just you know coming in meetings, we invite them. Personally, I have gone to all those top church leaders, bishops, Catholics, trying to make them understand that But took years. But secondly, the issue is also in the member, the church members. Because we tend to be so active in the church activities, but really, we are either Hutu or Tutsi in our context or we are Protestant or Catholic, with all what it means to us, but we still come to church without a real transformation. And the transformation is what we've read in this passage. If anyone is in Christ, it's a new creation. What does it mean? The old has gone. What is the old? What, what is the old which should go? And how do we become a new creation in Christ? That's where there is a big challenge. Because... It goes with many other issues, but sometimes our identity as a Christians is lost because we are either British Christian or Irish Christian or Rwandan Christian or white or black Christian, but we are not Christian and become the rest at the second level. <coughs> because if I'm a Christian and you are Christian as our first identity, then whenever we meet, it doesn't, it doesn't matter your skin color or whatever because we are Christian. And then you can be Irish or whatever you call yourself. You can be Rwandan. But still, because we are... But that sense of becoming new creation and becoming Christians before any other identity, it's lost in the church. And therefore, we are all active behind our, our so-called identities and the groups we think that's where we belong. And I think that's where the church has... This, this. So leadership, leadership matters. Very, very, very crucial and very important. And especially as a Christian, we are all leaders because Jesus called us to be disciples. And he said, go and make other disciples. He's not talking about church leaders. He's talking about every believer. The new creation, you go make other believers, you make other disciples. That's the job of all. And that can be not only by, by speaking, even the way we live, the way we behave, the way we, we interact with one another, the way we cross those lines. Jesus, if you look at Jesus, it's like, we were all ashamed. Because he went to Zacchaeus' home, ate food, and people were like, Are you serious? Really? You go to this guy, the tax collector, the social injustice, like the you go in there and you don't even condemn him. But he went and sit and eat food there. You know what happened? I imagine that Jesus was always working with the crowd. They also went with him. And Zacchaeus seeing that, he actually did something very crucial which is restitution why? because Jesus took the risk to go and cross the line without condemning without even preaching just eating food with Zacchaeus that's what we need go eat food to the catholic to whatever you call yourself just just invite for food and not not preach i think that's the sort of leadership we need we need people to cross the line from their comfort zone and really live out, becoming, not doing. I think that's what we need. That's the Bishop Curry (laughs) sermon
0: to follow yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) And I have other questions, but I'm not going there because I think that's what we need to hear this morning, and that's where we need to go from this morning. So can we thank you? We will have other questions for these guys afterwards um, and find out a little bit about what Diane does and maybe how we can benefit from Thrive Ireland ex- as well. But I don't want to take away from that. Wonderful. Uh, I put down Steve would do an epilogue. I think he did it for me, brother, and I'm very thankful. One, one thing, more word. One Go for one it.
1: Very important to me this morning. Being here this morning and here that there are some Catholics here sitting in this congregation. I heard that. Is it through?
0: That boy there at the front, that head boy there.
1: Is he the only one or other oh, Catholics?
0: No. Where's the Clonard crew in there? Please, please. They please. come every week. The, the pilgrims, where are you? Look at that. They're all around the place. Jews still get that, you know. There's,
1: uh... I'm just, I've been here for a week. I'm just trying to scratch, not even scratch, just to touch the surface of your issue. But when I had him coming, you give him the opportunity to read the scripture, I felt moved for two major reasons. It's the scripture we've read, it starts very well. Because he died for all. Jesus on the cross, he died for all. Not for the Catholics, not for the Protestants, not for the white, not for the black. He died for all. He did. He gave his life for all. And I think when we get to heaven, those who get there, the joy is to see all there. Catholic Protestant, Chinese Americans, white and black. That's the end goal. In the Revelation the Bible says, I saw the throne and the king sitting on the throne and they see people from all over. All the language, nationalities, race, they were all there. And I think that's for me, whenever I see such people coming together of all diversities, because they believe in the same Lord who died for them, for me it's like, that's more heaven. I'm telling you, unless you guys, because you have a lot of money, we buy your own plot of land in heaven, (laughs) and you're not to live with me and others, but we all, Leave our Father, who created us in his image, who gave his son to die for all. And he has waiting and said, I'm going to heaven to prepare place for all I died for. God bless you.
0: I'm emotionally racked. I was uh, baptizing the, the, the children. I was emotional. And then when um, when Ed said it was one of Father Jerry's favourite pieces, I still miss him so much. It. And then hearing uh, Christoph and thank you Diane too, we do want to hear more about Thrive at some point. And we are, as Conrad Fitzroy, going to follow this up in late September and early October with two Sunday evenings, where we will be thinking a little bit more about some of the stuff um, that Diane is bringing back from Rwanda. Um, so please look out for those um, when we come back. For the autumn session. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you on Pentecost Sunday. <clears throat> and just in Houlihan's having lunch last week with Christoph, when I mentioned that, he said, Yeah, what difference does that make? What difference does Pentecost make? Lord, we come to you and we confess, probably first and foremost that it hasn't made enough difference. And so we open ourselves as we did in the offering for you this morning in a fresh way to pour your spirit into each one of us as individuals and to us as a community of believers here in Fitzroy that this morning has this glorious Venn diagram with Clonard Monastery. We ask that your spirit would be poured out on us in our denomination And just as Christoph has been saying on every believer across this island, we pray that your spirit would be poured out in such a way that the old would disappear and the new would come. And therefore that your Holy Spirit would point out to us what the old things are. What is the brokenness of our fallen nature? What are those parts of our DNA growing up in a Unionist or nationalist or loyalist or Republican or black or white community? What are the things in our culture that have been caused by the brokenness and the fallenness of our humanity that we need to see as the old? And then we pray your spirit would give us the courage to repent from that, to acknowledge it, to confess it, and to then start looking at the new Lord, help us to imagine a world where the Holy Spirit poured out on every believer would be revealed in the way that we relate to our husband or wife or mother or father or friend or sister or brother or neighbor or enemy. Lord, give us a rich imagination as to what the Holy Spirit came to bring in newness of life, in the future, and in glory. Lord, Christoph has mentioned this glorious culmination where all colors and races and languages would be gathered around your throne. This image that John had in Patmos of all of us united under Christ, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And Lord, I go back to that story I tell so often from Robin Island, Where the prisoners were learning English and Maths and politics and economics in a place where they were always going to be prisoners. And they were doing it because they believed they weren't always going to be prisoners. They believed that someday they would need the English and the Maths and the economics and the politics. Because as they said, they were getting ready for freedom before freedom came. Lord, your spirit being poured out into our lives is to enable us to be ready for heaven before it comes. To be ready for your kingdom coming in its fullness before it comes. And so we pray today that every one of us would see ourselves as leaders. Every one of us would see ourselves as the persuader of others. Every one of us would see that we can do what Jesus did in inviting our Zacchaeus into our home for food. Inviting our Zacchaeus for a cup of coffee. Lord, we pray you would call us, anoint us, pour out your spirit upon us, that we all might be part of that calling to make disciples of all nations, to be ministers of reconciliation, and to bring your will on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we offer ourselves, fill us by your spirit and send us to bring that kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen.